On your marks, set, and go. Boom. <laughs> go. All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Ian and Ian. We're so excited. I am always excited when I have a, 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 a former um, running mate, um, you know, somebody that I used to run against, you know, way back in the day. So I'm, I get super, super excited because I'm so impressed and proud with uh, what uh, Coach Ken Harden. He's a two-time Olympian. And as you could see, that big T on his T-shirt is the assistant coach down in University of Tennessee. And we have a whole lot of accomplishment and um, his philosophy um, is running uh, technique and just a lot of things from a coaching perspective. So just stay tuned, guys. And, you know, we are so, so delighted. So before we get further words, I'm going to hand over to the health and wellness specialist. Well, another night we just want to say and welcome back to our viewers who've been following us for a while uh, we could not be more happy here this sunday afternoon to have with us you know a champion athlete but also a coach that is now being able to give back you know much of what he has learned during his journey you know so coach harden we just want to say welcome to the platform ian and ian real talk this is a platform where we really just want you to just come on here and just educate, inspire, and just motivate somebody who will be watching. So welcome, Coach Harden. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you both having me on. It's uh, it's a privilege and an honor. Um, like Ian said, it's always fun to do stuff with uh, with guys we used to compete with, and and uh, you know we we hung out. We used to spend full summers in Europe together. So it wasn't like it is today where people go over for two races and come back. We we spent four months together playing spades every night. So, uh, and then we go race each other in the morning. But yeah, it's uh, fun to be here and I'm excited about it. All right, guys. So guys, you know, we're talking again live in studio. Um, it's another episode um, that we're talking about. Um, so we're just going to get right into the program. I know that um, we have talked about this many weeks and the time has come. So we're just going to get right into it because we have a lot to talk about tonight. So Ken, as usual, I just like to talk about um, your earlier days um, just as an athlete, you know, how did you actually, uh, when did you get into athletics or what was your first sport that you actually played um, in your younger days? Yeah, look, uh, athletics was my first sport. Um, my uncle was a, was a 110 hurdler. He was meant to go to the Olympics in 72, but Rhodesia, as Zimbabwe was known back then, boycotted. Um, and he never got to go. So it was something that, that was part of the family. You know, everyone ran track and did athletics. But, uh, you know, growing up in Zimbabwe, you you play every sport. So um, we, we had to play every sport. We were told to. I went to boarding school when I was 12, 13. And, uh, you know, we played all the sports. So I had no choice, but, but athletics always had a special place in my heart because of, you know, I always felt like, uh, you know, I was doing it a little bit for him um and you know and and firing that path so uh but i was very lucky you know we ran barefoot on grass and and you know much like you guys do in jamaica and i came up much the same way so uh and then i tore my acl uh playing rugby my last year of high school so rugby was my passion it was something i loved to do um but track and field was always the one that that had my heart right uh 
So I ended up coming to the States on a scholarship and was very lucky to, uh, to end up at North Carolina and run against uh, great athletes like yourself um, and then uh, make it a little bit further along. So, yeah. All right, guys. Thank you for that, Ken. Give us a little history about Zimbabwe, um, all the way from Zimbabwe, um, running on grass, you know, like what we do in Jamaica. And, um, you know, you always remember those days because running in grass, you know, was always something that, you know, it didn't make a difference for us. I never thought about the track. I mean, you know, I used to run on the grass in my spikes right. and, and, and all of that. And it's actually now that I've grown up and think about it, it, it does. It's good for the body um, to do that type of fall training on the grass. Um, you know, it's less pounding, you know, um, but at the same time, you know, you know that sprinting when you try to get um, more technical in terms of the sprinting um it's a big advantage training on on the track so we're going to get into a little bit more about that later on so started out um doing a little bit of rugby a little bit of track uh, so you you end up went to one of the best university in the country uh, <laughs> i was very uh, happy. <laughs> you know that 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 have that sky blue color um, you know, in, 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 in the, in the great state of North Carolina down in Chopper Hill. And, um, that got to be a blessing. So let's talk about, um, your days at, um, going to, well, how difficult was it? Was the choice? Um, how did you end up at, um, UNC Chopper Hill? You know, I actually, when, when I came to this country, I, I, I went to DePaul university in Chicago for, for a year. Um, and and ended up transferring and walking on at North Carolina. My my dad worked for a tobacco company in Zimbabwe, and he came over to North Carolina on business. And I, I met him down there. And I, I literally I had six or seven hours to, to kill. And I walked on campus and, and wandered around, found my way to the track office and, and uh, begged Coach Craddock to, to let me try to walk on. Um, and, and I was just blessed to be there. There was such a great group of athletes there. You know, Alan Johnson was there. Monique Hennigan was there. Uh, Latasha Colander, uh, Marion Jones. So just phenomenal athletes like that. You know, Curtis Fry, Coach Fry down in South Carolina was the sprints coach. Um, I trained with Coach Craddock most of the time, but learned so much from Coach Fry. Uh, you know, Tony McCall, Milton Campbell, Henry McCoy, that was our four by four. Uh, it was just a phenomenal time there, and um, it wasn't just track and field. It was all the sports. You know, Mia Hamm in, in soccer, right? The greatest female soccer player ever. Yeah. Um, you know, you we, we went from from uh, Antoine Jameson to Vince Carter uh, to, you know, Stackhouse and Wallace and those guys in basketball. Uh, the 96 Olympics, I can't even remember. We, we came back to Chapel Hill for a, a reunion after the Olympics. There must have been 30 Olympians from from North Carolina, so it was just an amazing time to be there and be around a phenomenal group of people um, and a phenomenal group of coaches as well. So I was very blessed to be able to do that um, and be a part of it and and just be part of a great university. It's it's a it's a special special place for sure. 
All right, that got to be awesome. So what is it like to go to such a big powerhouse basketball and football school? What is it like on campus, um, you know, doing track? Do you actually get to hang out with, do you see the basketball players and the football players? Or how, how do you guys, uh, how is it like on campus? I tell you what, we, we saw a lot of the football players. Uh, um, you know, a couple of my sweet mates were football players. Basketball players are definitely a little bit uh, secluded. The men's basketball team lives across campus. They do their uh, their weight room, their practices, their study hall, everything like that in, in the Dean Smith Center. So they're, they're, they're definitely a little secluded. We had a ton of fun uh, getting to know the football players and, and those guys and, and uh, really enjoyed that part of it for sure. There was um an, an interesting deal you know we we used to have a wednesday night uh quad meet with saint aug um and then uh nc state and uh sometimes it was duke and and every now and again it was uh north carolina central but they would come over and we we'd have two or three thousand people in the stands on a wednesday night to watch the track meet um and i'm clearly clearly remember uh, my first year because it was Marion Jones's first meet ever at Chapel Hill, right? She was a freshman. The women's basketball team just come off a national title. She's the starting point guard and she comes out there and there were, there were literally thousands of people that tracked me to watch her run. So it was very cool. All right. Awesome. So my next question, we got to talk about the 400 meter hurdle. I just want to know, when did you actually take up that event and what was the reason how did you say you know what i think this is the event for me how did that start it well i look i i did most events in high school um you know i i ran 10 7 on the grass barefoot and ran 21 seconds in the 200 did all those things um I, ian I, I i'll tell you this when i arrived in the states thinking I was fast and realized that I really wasn't that fast. You know, I mean, I came out of high school thinking I was a 100, 200 guy. Um, and I got to the States and realized that I I, I wasn't. So um, I had to figure out another way around it and, and figure out a way to get to the Olympic Games and be a, a professional athlete. And, um, you know, I was a decent quarter miler, but I could hurdle. Um, not great, as you recall. I'm not the best hurdler, but I just was lucky I was six foot five and the hurdles aren't that tall. So. It was, it was quite honestly not by choice, but but by necessity. All right, awesome. All right, I'm gonna hold on for a little bit. Over to you, Ian. Okay, Coach Harden. Um, quick question. We just want you to take us right back to Zimbabwe and tell us what it was like growing up as a child there. You know. Ah, oh, the greatest, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was being born there. Um, you know, I I grew up in a place where. Less than 1% of the population is white. I grew up with amazing people. Uh, I grew up appreciating everything that was handed to me because people have so little. Um, I grew up in a place where it's a third world country and yet our education system is one of the best in the world. Um, you know, I grew up in a place where cell phones and cable TV didn't, didn't affect day-to-day -day life, right? Um, you know, build, building something in in the bush or, or doing something like that was more important. Uh, getting to know your friends, riding your bike through, through the town or wherever you were. 
Um, you know, I went to boarding school, uh, oh, I don't know, 120 miles from the nearest city. Uh, there were 500 boys on a 600 acre campus and there was real live wilderness outside our, our fence, right? Um, so just what an amazing experience. Um, but, but truly, I think the, the greatest part of it is I have an appreciation for people being people and, and it not being about the color of their skin, where they came from, how they're educated, things like that. Um, truly, truly appreciate that part of it. Um, I, I will, will tell you that I believe Zimbabwean people are some of the best people. Okay, thank you for giving us, you know, your feedback on, on, on your home country. It seems like Zimbabwe is similar to Jamaica, like a like third world country. It seems like running on grass, you're bringing back stuff from our hometown, you know. Schooling, getting to school for us yep. also could be difficult. So the next question I want to ask you is mm -hmm. now that you were ready to transition into the USA, how difficult was that? as a teenager or just about your 20s? I don't know, what age did you get there again? And how was that? Um, I was I was 17 going on 18. Um, it, it was definitely difficult. Look, it was it was not an easy transition, right? Uh, I, I can't people, there were more people in Chicago than there were in my entire country when I arrived there. Um, it was It was mind blowing just to see that many people. Um, one of the things that amazed me was uh, my best friend in high school and I both came on scholarships together. Uh, Rob Chiswa is his name. He's a black guy, ran together for six years through high school. He was a 4A guy. Um, and man, we arrived in this country and had no idea what it was about to be, right? Like we, we didn't look at the internet. We didn't know what an email was. We had no earthly idea what we were getting ourselves into. Um, and uh, we stuck by each other and we looked after each other and and uh, and we survived but it was definitely an eye-opening experience for sure um, and you know but I think that's that's put me in good stead right because ultimately the my journey was was one that was destined to be a coach uh, and destined to help young people um, navigate that same journey so yeah so great experience. And, great. And next question uh, would be, so once you transition here, was that like under a full scholarship or did you have to cover a portion of it? Because we realized a lot of athletes still did not get a full scholarship. I I got a full scholarship out of high school. It was interesting. Um, I had, I had five or six scholarship offers to small schools. Um, but when I tore my ACL, DePaul was the only one that kept the scholarship offer on the table. Um, and I went there, I rehabbed. Um, and then, you know, I realized that I was never going to get to where I wanted to go training in a park in Chicago, right? It just wasn't going to happen. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, to be in a situation to ask my dad to pay for one year of school. Um, I worked as much as I could to, to help pay for, for other things. He paid for my tuition. Um, I walked on at North Carolina uh, and the, the coach at the time, Coach Craddock, told me if I ran 49 seconds, he'd give me a scholarship. Um, and I did. 
So uh, he, he gave me tuition the next year and, um, and I ran 48 and then I turned pro. So it, it's, I sort of had the, the opportunity to do both things, right? To be, to be a scholarship athlete and then be a walk-on athlete. Um, but, uh, but I certainly appreciated the opportunity both ways. Um, I appreciated the, the scholarship when I had it and, and what that meant. Um, I think some of the athletes in this day and age uh, don't understand that that getting paid to do something is a two-way street. Okay, that that there's an expectation that you uh, produce. Um, and then I had the opportunity to appreciate the fact that my dad had uh, had, had saved some money and, and allowed me to be a walk-on for a year, which was very special. And you know, to this day. Um, I wouldn't be where I am today without that. Thank you for sharing. Back to you, Ian. All right, Kent. So, you know, obviously, um, you know, you're going on to UNC Chapel Hill. Um, I know that got to be a lot of memory. I mean, especially with the, the caliber teammates that, you know, were on the team with you. I pretty much know all your teammates. Uh, yep. You know, I have, um, you know, Monique Ennigan all the way from a junior. Um, at the World Junior, and uh, you know, so it's it's like your peers, you know, while you progress, you're going to college, you know, you guys, you know, everybody making progress and, and doing all that. So let's talk a little bit about your accomplishment at, at, at UNC Chapel So obviously, you probably was the school record all at the time. Um, you know, I, I don't think that there has been anybody faster than you. <laughs> well, you know, actually, they, they uh, Kenny Solomon broke my record oh, two years okay. ago. Okay, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay. okay. Um, it was it, quite funny, right, Coach? You, uh, Harless Metters was was the head coach at Chapel Hill, you know, uh, for a while, for about five or six years, and and I worked with him at Florida State, and he had gone to Chapel Hill as well. So, when when his discus record got broken, Coach Craddock took the the plaque off the board and mailed it to him, and we were making fun of him. So of course, when when my record went down, he did the same thing to me. So. Um, but Kenny Solomon is a, a, a worthy record holder. He's a great, great young athlete. I'm excited to watch him the next couple of years. All right, all right. So thank you for that. So um, ju just for the record, let's talk about that race. Um, just going into the NCA. how confident were you going into the final? Um, what were your thoughts? Did you actually have a good feeling about it that you would have become out victorious? I did. It was an interesting year. Um, you know, I'd run 49.7 the year before, running 15 steps the whole way, right? And you know how big I am. I mean, 15s was like, you know, pitter-patter. Um, and we went to the conference meet that year, and, and Octavius Terry was in my conference. Um, there was there were a couple of really good guys at Clemson, uh, a couple John Rothell at Florida State. Um, so the conference was stacked. And I ran 48, I want to say 48.73 or something, to win conference, but Octavius Terry was defending national champ and I had to run him down late in the race. Um, and we went back and, and I asked coach, I said, look, I, I got to learn how to 15 or 13 step here and try to figure out this first half of the race. So we skipped some meets and, and we did that. And the meet before nationals, we had a home meet and I went out, I ran 13s to five and then went to the outside of the lane ran 15s all the way home and ran 49-0 and no one had run that fast that year so I, I went into it in a really good place I felt good 
um, you know, I'd run fast relays the whole year. I knew I was in shape. Um, you know, we won the four by four indoors that year and I split 45 one. So I knew I was ready, um, but I had a great feeling about it. Uh, I really did. And I was excited about it. And, it turned out great. So it was a, it was all right, good all right. So, so just just for um, the memory, I know it's a long time, but how how did you feel at the time winning the NCA champion? Um, you know, pretty much your biggest race on the biggest occasion. Um, how do you feel as as a young man? Um, you know, in college, and how did they celebrate you um, with, with your coaches and your teammates? Look, they were super excited. We were we were in a team battle, right? Um, you know, we we had a couple of injuries. Milton Campbell ended up cramping in the four by four. I think we ended up fifth or sixth as a team overall. So, you know, we were trying to get on that that podium, right? Trying to get one of those trophies, one of the top four. Um, so it was a big deal, and we we had some great performances. Tony McCall made the final in the one and the two. Milton in the four. Um, we had we had a couple of really good field eventers as well. So. We were really good. The the, I, I think the most disappointing thing of the whole meet was that we we got on the bus immediately after the meet and drove back to Chapel Hill. We didn't get a chance to party with everybody after the meet, so <laughs> we were disappointed. But uh, but no, it was exciting, man. Um, you know what it's like in track and field. You you do all this stuff and you go back to campus and you realize that it's summer school and no one's actually there, right? So they yeah they put your your picture in the newspaper and only a quarter of the the population get to see it so um that's always a little bit disappointing but they did a great job in in north carolina has always done a good job of of uh remembering us through the years so it was exciting i i don't know for for me that was such a great moment such a big moment in my career um and i was so excited to get there and then as soon as it was as it was done you know it was like the federation back home called me up and they're like okay you're going to world championships Okay. And then I'm like, bam, okay, well, we, we're on to the next thing, you know? So off we went to Europe and, and uh, uh, Alan Johnson was, was uh, training at Chapel Hill at the time. He was, he was training with Coach Fry. Um, that funny story, I digress a little bit, but the maybe six weeks into my first year in Chapel Hill, um, we had a, a 500 meter time trial. And I had heard all this stuff about the great Alan Johnson. He was world indoor champ. And, you know, I, I expected to see him walk around the corner and be eight feet tall and leap tall buildings in a single bound. He was just, you know, everyone talked about him like, he, you know, he was the greatest thing ever. And he certainly was. And we line up with this time trial. And all of a sudden, Alan Johnson's standing next to me. And uh, he's going to run the time trial. And Coach Fry's, <laughs> you know, pumping him up. And I'm just this skinny little walk-on kid. Man, I, I tell you what, I ran the first 300 of that in about 30.2. I rolled and I never came back. And Alan Johnson to this day talks about it. And I, honestly, I was running so scared. I had no idea what I was doing. I just oh, went as hard as I could. So, but yeah, it was it was a special place for sure. Well, well, you know, I know Alan Johnson at the time, he was just one of those special athletes. I mean, you know, especially jumping in the 200, you know, he could run a, a real decent 200. Um, so yeah, he was he was very talented, and he he probably could have run the four herders. Um, I don't know if he, he somebody might tell him that I say that, but uh, <laughs> you know I I he probably I've done it at some point. Uh, you know, obviously it's not a fun event, so if you can get by by doing obviously the one ten hurdler, uh, 
it'll be easier than the 400 hurdler. But um, I have a lot of respect for Allen, um, what he accomplished. He's pretty much one of the all-time. Sorry, Ian, can you, I'm getting a bunch of feedback. I couldn't hear that question. Yeah, he, uh, I didn't, I still was talking about Allen Johnson. So, uh, uh, yeah, testing, testing. Um, Ian, are you hearing me clear over your side? Yes, I am. Okay. Um, I don't know what's going on. Okay. Um, how is it now? Are you, are, is it better? I'm not sure. I know you have muted yourself for a little bit, but I'm not sure. Uh, you're muted right now. Um, you know, but so if you're, if you, if you want to, um, just close the browser and come back in, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, you could just close it and come back in. Okay. No, no, no. You just went good. I don't okay. know why. It was like all Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. sometimes, yeah, sometimes, you know, it just all depends on the internet feed, um, yep. you know, th that's running through. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, I would just, you know, just saying all the um, good stuff about Allen, um, you know, probably could have ran the four herders, um, you know, at, at some point. So, uh, sure. I'm, yep. So, obviously, I won this big NCA ring. I don't know what I've done with that ring, but I, I, I do you still have that ring somewhere tucked away? Yeah, I, I have a whole box of rings. Um, it's in there. It's in a nice little case in my office. Uh, um, I got it. It's there. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. So just just to summarize your 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 days at Chapel Hill, um, you know, other than the track, you know, just off the track, you know, what what one thing that you always remember about the university, um, just being on campus. Um, just the the most amazing place to me that that. Uh, you know, when I got there, I was a nobody. When I left, I was still a nobody. I was able to to meet new people every single day the whole time I was there. Right? It's twenty five thousand students at the time, and and uh, every class I went into, I I met new people from different parts of this country, and uh, had the opportunity to do that. But I think one of the most amazing things for me was the the fact that nowhere, no matter where I went in the world people had heard about Chapel Hill, right? Whether it was because of Michael Jordan or, or whatever, um, but they'd heard about him. So um, it's a it's a prestigious place. It's, it's very cool to say that that's where I went to school and, and that, uh, you know, I won a national title there. All right, awesome. So just, just, uh, another question in regarding to the, um, just your early days, just in college, um, who was your early role models like in college? Um, just looking back at athletics at the time, um, you know, just your knowledge and your history of the sport. There was any particular athlete that you really admire in the running? Yeah, look, um, Sam Matete grew up, you know, a few hours from me, right? He's Zambia's next door to Zimbabwe. So, um, you know, he was one of those guys that he won the world title in 91, my senior year in high school. And, uh, and he was that guy. He was that guy that I wanted to be like, right? Um, so certainly he was one of them. Um, uh, I, I got a chance to meet Edwin Moses when I was uh, young in college at, at one of our training camps, which was really cool. Um, but for me, uh, Sam had come to the States. He'd gone through the college system. He'd done all that. And then he'd gone on the world stage and he'd, and he'd done some great things. So um, he was he was probably my role model. He was that guy. Then, obviously, my uncle, who was you know who was a really good hurdler uh, back in the day. He was he was a guy I talked to a lot. He was a guy I talked to a bunch about 
just being a great athlete. All right, awesome. All right, back over to you, Ian. Yes, Coach Harden. Um, what I really want to know, I know um, just doing track and field is very challenging. You got to put a lot of work in. Um, so could you just tell us what really motivates you to get up and go out there and put that work in? Um, just the desire to, to get where people didn't think I could get, right? Um, you know, I think I, I grew up in a country of hardworking people, um, as, as both of you did, right? If you, if you grow up in a third world country, you grow up in a place where people know how to work hard, no matter what they do. Um, and, and anytime you, you're in a place where, uh, there aren't that many jobs, uh, there aren't, uh, opportunities when you get one, when one's handed to you, you, you do your most with it. You do the best. So that was part of it. Um, the other part was obviously the role models in, in my life. Uh, my mom and dad were extremely hardworking people, uh, as were my grandparents. Um, those were people that, that showed me the way my dad worked harder than any human being I've ever met. Um, he put in hours, he, he did things, uh, for our family, um, and went the extra mile every, every opportunity he got. So, uh, there was no question that that's what was to be done. Um, and, uh, so I think it's just, it's in the DNA. It's, it's part of me because of who my family is and it's part of me because of where I'm from. So, uh, you got to work hard. All right. Uh, now, as a coach, how do you motivate others? You know, like your, your, your students, how do you go about getting them motivated to do the same? Yeah, I think in similar ways, I, um, when I started coaching, I always felt like that, that half of my job was, was to coach, uh, great young kids from this country, right? Uh, athletes that, that, uh, had grown up in America were, were part of this system. Um, but the other half was to, to bring in other foreign athletes, um, to be part of our team, give them opportunities, uh, give young people from other countries an opportunity to show their themselves, uh, to, to take their, their track and field career to the next level. Um, and in doing that, allow both groups of athletes to benefit from the other. I think, you know, Ian will tell you the same thing. Um, your teammates or my teammates when I was in college were always so amazed to hear the stories that that we that I talked about growing up in a third world country so um, and I think it gave a different appreciation you know I, I certainly wasn't the one walking in asking for new shoes every five or six weeks I wasn't the one complaining we only had one uniform or or whatever that is so um, I think when when I build teams and, and I go recruit athletes that's always in the back of my mind that if I bring in some athletes from uh, some places where they don't have so much um, that there's an appreciation factor and maybe that that rubs off rubs off on the rest of the team um, so but ultimately no matter who they are which country they're from this opportunity to be a collegiate athlete and the benefits that go with that should be motivation enough, right? Um, the fact that you get free coaching and uh, free tutoring and free education and free gear and free travel and uh, all those opportunities, those, those are things that I think if you, if you can bring that appreciation to the athlete's forefront, 
uh, and show them that, then then their motivation uh, is is already taken care of. Thank you for sharing those pointers there. Back to you, Ian. All right. So, Ken, we're just going to move a little bit. Um, I want to just touch a little bit on the 94 Commonwealth Games. And um, because, um, <laughs> you know, we um, we actually um, was, the you know, at the time, I you know, you know, just was a young athlete, um, you know, still in college. And uh, I got a call to go to Canada and I was like yeah I'm you know why not I mean you know just gonna take the trip um, as I said just a sophomore in college so mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so I end up went there actually just went for the trip you know just to travel somewhere and uh you know so I and then so I ran and um I was I made the final um luckily <laughs> uh you know so for me once i made the final i was like man that's good um you know i'm only 21 years old and i'm running against samuel matedi you know guys that i've seen on tv let's talk about how, how how did that decision um come along for you uh if and and just let us know if that was your first time representing zimbabwe and how did that make you feel yeah it was a very similar to your situation right uh sort of come off ncaa's uh go home for the summer uh train a little bit think your season's over and then they say all right you're going to commonwealth games and it's not till the end of the summer yeah. and you're like man like this season seems to have gone on forever and you get on the plane and you know for us we we flew 11 12 hours to england spent four days training there and then flew from there to Canada. So it was it was quite a long trip. Um, but uh, yeah, very similar. You know, I'd, I'd, same kind of deal as you. I'd, I'd run uh, 49, 89, I think, earlier that year. Um, but really didn't know how I'd run it. Uh, like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just running around the track, jumping over hurdles. And um, got there, kind of like you, not really sure how I made the final, but made the final. <laughs> Um, you beat me, so. Uh, but you posted that video a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, and, and I was like, yeah. man, that that goes way back. But uh, yeah, it was it was a fun experience. It was the first major meet of of my career in terms of representing Zimbabwe. I'd, I'd represented Zimbabwe at like the Southern African Championships and things like that as a junior, but I'd never been to World Juniors or anything like that. I was always playing rugby or doing some other sport. Um, so it was my my first time as a senior, putting on the uniform and representing my country. We uh, we ended up having a four by four that should have made the final and didn't. Um, but uh, you know we we of course we brought four guys and we needed a fifth. We ended up running a, a 1500 meter dude on the four by four. But we had, we had a lot of fun. It was it was a cool experience. Um, and uh, and we went right back and I think I I arrived in in school sort of. The Monday afterwards, we started classes on Tuesday. So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Right. Yeah, um, you know, back then, you know, actually didn't know anything about social media, um, you know, or anything like that. So I mean, you know, I so accidentally. Um, now that I'm older, I'm trying to see if there was any races out there that popped up. So right. I, I, you know, obviously, um, you know, th that race was all about Samuel Matete, but you know, uh, we was still in there, and you know, there was a couple of Kenyan, and you know, the the British, they take uh, big pride in the Commonwealth game. Uh, yes. You know, I know that um, 
I have a memory of seeing the Queen. Um, any recollection of, of um, her hearing about the Queen when it was at the Commonwealth game? I, I remember her being there, yeah. I remember everyone talking about it. So yeah. Okay, 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 yeah. awesome. All right, so let's move along. Obviously, 95, um, you have, you know, went to the first World Championship. Um, you know, just tell us a little bit about your experience um, in 95 and, um, you know, um, how did your first, how did your season went in 95 just competing in the World Championship? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, it was kind of a follow-on to the to the NCAA, right? Um, yeah. I went I went to Europe. I, I didn't lose a race the whole season in the NCAA, right? An individual race. So um, that it was a really exciting year for me. Uh, the college scene, I sort of, you know, made my way and, and I was a factor in, in the college scene and, um, you know, undefeated in the hurdles, felt really good about my season. And then I go straight from there to Europe. I mean, I left like, oh, I don't even know, two weeks after NCAAs and I run this whole season leading up to world championships and i never ran a race that didn't have either matete diagana uh or Derek atkins or more than one of them the whole summer so i won every race in my collegiate season then didn't win a race the rest of the year and you know i go to world championships i finish sixth and i'm you know i i, I don't know what to do with myself like i i run track because i like to win and you haven't won a race in three months and I'm, I'm a little bit depressed. Um, and I walk onto the, to the warm-up track after the race and I put my bag down and there's a massage table. And I didn't realize that the Michael Johnson's getting a massage there. And he looks over and he's like, he goes, Hey Ken, how'd you do? And I, I'm like, sort of, I have no words coming out because Michael Johnson knew my name. Right. So I'm thinking I've, I've arrived, right. That forget you forget you didn't win a race, but, um, so I'm like, I got six. He's like, oh, that's a good job, you know, whatever. And he goes back to his massage. So uh, it was pretty cool. I felt like, you know, I'd, I'd sort of arrived that somebody that of, of that stature knew my name. But um, that summer was a lot of fun. I got to to be part of the the professional track and field scene and be on the circuit, and, you know, hang out with Kareem Street Thompson and Bernie Surin and, you know, people like that. It was really neat. So um, that that summer was one of the greatest experiences of my life just you know country to country meet a bunch of people um running races and then somebody gives you a you know a stack of money after every race and says thanks very much for competing you know yeah. like who would have thought when we were growing up that they were going to actually pay us to do this so yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty yeah. neat um but no world championships was a lot of fun um you know ran i didn't run a pr but i ran close to my pr every round uh, okay. So I was really excited about that. It was a long season, um, and you know, making the finals a big deal. So yeah, yeah, That's definitely, um, um, you know, was a great accomplishment. So let's move along to the 1996 season. Obviously, um, you know, the Olympics is going to be in Atlanta, in, in, in the United States, and you train here, and you know. How, how did you think at the time of the beginning of the season? What were your goals? Um, and did you um, feel like you accomplished those uh, in the 96? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, you know, I, I changed coaches. I moved down to Florida State to train with, with Kim Batten and, and Terry Long, uh, which was such a great move for me. I think it, you know, it, at the end of the day, when I look back now, it was the right move. But at the time, it was very different training. 
uh, a very different scenario. I started the season off really well. I went to the Prefontaine meet and photo finished with Danny Harris uh, for the win. And then I went to Europe and had a couple of good races. And then the wheels just kind of fell off. I didn't, I didn't run well. I couldn't get my race pattern right. And I really struggled um, all the way up until Atlanta. And, uh, you know, sort of felt like the season was over before it started. And then, um, you know, arrived at the Olympic Games. I'm like, I'm going to make the most of this. I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. This is my first Olympic Games. There'll be three or four more. You know, I'll be back here every time there's Olympic Games. And um, so I, I ran. I ran a PR the first round. I uh, ran another PR the second round. Um, but I missed the final. You know, I ran... I uh, ran 48.50-something, and I think it took 48 low four, 48.41 or something to make the final. So I was really disappointed. I was I was heartbroken. Um, you know, I felt like that, that was my opportunity to make the final. Um, I wasn't good enough to medal at that meet, but I, I felt like I was good enough to make the final. Um, and I was disappointed. You know, as, as you know, the Olympics come around every four years, and you just don't know what's going to happen the next time around. Um, and, uh, so it was a little disappointing season, um, but it was definitely a transition to being a full-time pro, which again, uh, college kids that, that leave college and, and go from being part of a team and having a trainer and somebody setting up their hotel and getting them food and all that stuff that, that first year is definitely a difficult transition. Um, and, and I certainly felt it. Okay. So other than off the track, in terms of making it to the Olympics and just being in the old environment, um, what was your biggest memory off the track uh, in Atlanta? Um, anything, anyone that you meet or anything that you can remember that you could say that look, it's part of my Olympic memory? Yeah, I mean, I, I stood in line in, in the dining hall for, heck, I don't even know, two hours to shake Muhammad Ali's hand. Um, it that's the pinnacle right i mean to me he's arguably the greatest athlete this planet's ever seen and and uh you know he lights the flame and then he shows up at lunchtime in the in the dining hall and uh that that right there for me was one of the most special things ever it's a memory i'll cherish for for the you know for the rest of my life it was really special so um you know there was the other stuff right being you know, you're Olympian, right? And and no one can ever take that away from you. You'll always be an Olympian. Um, you know, one of uh, Marvin Bracey put up a post the other day is that he said his granddad had told him that, you know, well, you didn't make the finals at the Olympic Games. I'm like, man, there were 15,000 people at the Olympic Games competing out of 8 billion. Like, you're you're special if you get there. So that, that was a special thing to be able to say I made it there and I was part of something. Um, but but meeting Muhammad Ali was was a very very important moment in my life. Okay, awesome. Um, so and, awesome. And, and I'll tell you, it it's probably second only to to uh, to the African Championships in in '95. Um, the we 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 got an opportunity to to meet our president, to meet Robert Mugabe at the time, uh, and stand in front of him and shake his hand, uh, and and that was. That was a pretty special moment as well. So you know, to, to be able to do those two things and and uh, and be part of that special. All right, awesome. Um, over to you, Ian. Um, you know, I'm gonna wrap up the track career when I come back to the next segment. But let me um, get you over to Mr. Ian Thomas. All right. 
Okay, Coach Harden. So, you know, I see where you talk about just a little disappointment, you know. But I'll just say, how do you overcome or, or how do you continue from, you know, probably not performing at your fullest for a particular race and then know that you have to get up and go back to work again at it for another year or the next four years? How do you do that? Well, I, I think ultimately, uh, as, as an athlete, just like as a person, you learn more about yourself and what you're doing from your disappointments than you ever will from your successes, right? Um, I think oftentimes as athletes, when we have success, we're not even really sure how it happened. Um, you know, a lot, lots of times you, you, you talk to athletes when they run a, a personal best or run a great race and you're like, well, what happened? They're like, I don't remember. And, and generally it's because they're so relaxed and, and so calm. They went and executed a race plan and, and they just did what they were meant to do. Um, so I, I think that's where coaches come in. My, my coach, Terry Long, was, was phenomenal at, at refocusing uh, his athletes onto the next goal and, and using disappointment just the way you would success to, to be a motivating factor. So, um, and I, I try to implement that with the kids that, that I coach now. Um, they're young people that are not accustomed to failure. Uh, most of them come from a place where they were one of the best in their city, in their country, in their, you know, their region, whatever it is. And they won most of their races. And then they show up in the NCAA and, and it's, it's world-class track and field. So there's probably more, uh, more disappointments than, than successes for most of them. So you have to be able to turn that into, into motivation. Thank you very much. Thanks for sharing right there. Back to you, Ian. All right. So good, Ken. So, Ken, we're just going to move on. Um, you know, I want to just talk about a few little more things about your athletic career. I mean, obviously, just going to talk about in general. We know that you probably competed in every world championship, um, 95, 97, 99, you know, the Olympics in 2001. Just talk about overall with your career competing, representing your country. What's your best memory of representing your country that you really felt like um, that's something that you always will, will remember? Yeah. Well, we, we made the, the World Championship final in the 4x4, and we ran three flat. Um, and and that was a, in, in 97 in, in Athens, that was a special moment. Um, you know, we, we took four young kids that, that had somehow survived college in America, uh, and and found a way to continue training and, and competing, um, and and we, we put it together. You know, our, our leadoff leg was was a guy that was was literally building houses while he was training. I mean, he was a bricklayer, uh, and and he went out there and split forty five and changed to lead off a four by four, um, and uh, that that was a special moment because that group of guys we all we'd all come up together. We, we'd been together since we were 14, 15 years old on, on various teams. So that was really special to me. Um, that group of athletes uh, really persevered to, to survive in the sport as long as they did. Um, and, and for us to run three flat against, for the most part, athletes that were getting paid a lot of money to do it. Um, so that was really neat. You know, the, the rest of my career was a little bit of a downer. Um, you know, I ran fast in 98, 99. Uh, I tore my Achilles uh, sort of halfway through in, in 2000 in May in Osaka. 
um, did a bunch of, of rehab, did sugar injections and things like that, managed to jog around the track in, in Sydney. Um, <laughs> but that was another special moment, right? Because my brother made the team. And, yeah. you know, to to go to the Olympic Games with the brother, that's that's pretty special. Um, so we, we got to be there together and, and we didn't run great, but but we were there and we and we did it together and that was that was really special and that was pretty much the end of my career um you know i at that point i knew that um it was going to be tough to come back i i re you know tore it again in 2001 trying to come back and um that was the end of that and then you know sort of got back that summer after tearing it the second time and and my coach just sat me down he's like look he's like it's time to move on it's it's time to go do the next thing and the next thing is for you to be a coach um i'd volunteer coach for for a number of years and and he said uh i think you can be good at it if if it's something you're passionate about and um so that's what i did i went to work i was a volunteer coach for for another uh three years um and uh yeah i just figured it out all right so ju just before we move on to the coaching um you know i just want to say just want to ask you a couple of fun questions um just in terms of you running in europe all over the place where would be um what would you say your uh, a place that you go to run that you know that you really enjoy just the track and the environment um, and you could name more than one if, if you like yeah i I, I always enjoyed running Zurich. I mean, obviously the fans were so so knowledgeable, right? And you know, you you know, you you're in the lobby, and you know, people coming up to you with pictures from three four years ago, asking you to sign them, and it's it's super cool. So I always felt like anywhere you ran in Switzerland, the people were very knowledgeable. Um, but but running Crystal Palace um, was like you guys i grew up watching track meets in crystal palace right like that was yeah. that was it you know um so always felt like that was a special special place and uh so i, I anytime i had a chance to run there that was that was probably my favorite track in europe okay all right awesome so other than the injury personally that you have experienced um was there any uh, other challenges that that really you feel like um you know kind of um you know affect your performance while it was on a professional what was that like for you what were some of the advantage and, and and some of the good highs and the lows just being a professional well i think look once you become a coach you look back at what you were as an athlete right and and a, a couple of times i've i've called up coach long and i'm like man i'm really sorry you had to deal with me because i wasn't <laughs> as coachable as i should have been you know what i mean so okay. You know, I think um, when I look back at, at who and what I was as an athlete, I'm proud of the fact that that I persevered through an ACL reconstruction and things like that and and made my way to the Olympic Games and did those things. Um, I also know that I could have been better. Um, and but I think those things are, are things that allow me to be a better coach is is that that introspective, you know, the, the opportunity to look at myself and be like, well, you know, I have a young 400 hurdler here from Barbados. He ran 50.7 in the 400 hurdles in high school, Rasheem Griffith. I think he's going to be really special. Um, so I've been able to look back at my career and say, well, when I was trying to learn how to 13 step, what did I do? What did the coach do? Um, how did I react to that? And then try to be a little bit 
of a better coach. Um, so I, I have nothing but great memories about my career um, because I think all of it was uh, it was a bonus as far as I'm concerned. I, I could have ended up um, not coming to college after I tore my ACL and, and you know be be a regular guy working in, in in a regular job and I'm not I get to to go out every day and, and work with young people so I'm very blessed in that regard all right awesome so um this is another question from me um did you actually ever get a chance to come to run back in Zimbabwe as a as um after college or at any point yeah we had African champs there um in actually in 95 uh and, and I didn't run great I think I got fourth or fifth um it was such a long year and I just I literally just ran out of gas um but a couple of meets uh, I had a chance to run in South Africa uh, and meet Nelson Mandela, which was, again, one of those special moments in in your life, right? Um, and uh, so got to, to run back there a little bit. Um, obviously, I have a lot of friends that, that I grew up with um, that I went to boarding school with. There's, there was 90-something guys that started boarding school in my year, and we're all on one group chat on WhatsApp So yeah. to this day. Uh, it's quite a funny group chat, probably not politically correct, but it's it's pretty funny. You know, it's it's a a great mixture of um, ethnic groups, people that live all over the world. It's it's phenomenal to see where everybody that I grew up with is gone. But you know, I got to see those guys all around the world um, afterwards. You know, like Jamaicans, right? We end up spread out all over the world. So. Uh, you know, I got to see some friends in Australia. I got to see some friends in England, and uh, that's that's pretty cool. Okay. By the way, did you get a chance to run in Jamaica? Yeah, I ran. Man, <laughs> probably the hardest meet of my life. Do you do you remember in ninety? I want to say it's ninety seven. Don yeah. Warren put a meet on. I was there. Yeah. 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 yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so I ran the four hundred hurdles, and I crossed the line. I hadn't even walked off the track. And Don walked up to me and he goes, hey, I'll pay you double if you run the 400. And it was the last meet of the year. I'm like, sure, no problem. I go, when is it? He goes, 18 minutes. Oh, man. Dude, I almost died the next three days. So, but it was it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I got to run there that one time. It was neat. Okay, awesome, awesome. Um, any, any other on the track? I mean, just just over in Kingston, did you, did you get a chance to do anything um i know it's a short time but did you get a chance yep. to at least go to, to eat some fish or something yeah yeah, yeah. no 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 i because you know i've been to jamaica probably oh I, i'd say 30 times with oh. with recruiting and stuff right yeah, i mean okay. i've been i've been to boys and girls champs okay six or seven times um so but that that particular trip when i ran there we went we went over to ocho rios and stayed um my girlfriend and I, we stayed there for three days, three nights. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I know my way around Kingston pretty good. I'm probably one of the few foreigners that will rent a car and drive in Kingston. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, congratulations, man. Um, I'm glad that you have uh, made the trip so many times that you you know know how to get your way around. You know, you we wouldn't have to send a cab for you. You pretty much could get off the plane and say, look, I want to go to the Pegasus. I want to go to the Hilton, you know, and get in the car. You know that it's about 20, 30 minutes drive and, you know, just get into it. So, 
that's always yep. um that's always a plus when you could um you know go to um another country uh, and and able to move around without any uh, tour guide or anything like that yeah so no yeah. i mean you know when i when i coached ricardo chambers right i was there for for every national championships for you know for four or five six seven years so um so i got to go there a lot i I used to stay at the Pegasus, and then now I stay at, at Nuts, Nutsford Court. So that's my spot. Okay, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah. And, you know, Ian, um, so Rico, Ian is in Jamaica now. I think he's going to get the chance. He probably wanted to go up there to see Ricardo because he's a big farmer in Jamaica. So mm -hmm. Ricardo, he, you know, Chambers, Ian, this this the man that was coaching Ricardo um, during his collegiate career. And, you know, even when he went to Jamaica and he told us the story, Oh, he came back to Florida State to try and get his degree. And uh, it was very challenging for him at the time because he just wanted to finish school. And, you know, obviously his eligibility and everything was over, you know. Mm -hmm. so, but, um, you know, but that was awesome. He was a great athlete. Um, you know, we watched that 400 meter at the NCA um at the time and um that was a great race so um yeah. again you know and so i'm sure that he's one of the many olympians that you have coached and and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other athletes that you coach um during the your uh, coaching career so just to summarize your running career anything that you have learned about yourself now when you look back of being an athlete that you could say man i'm in a I, I, I've, I've learned a lot about myself and I've come to know myself a lot more just looking back at it from, I know you said your your coach came and, and, and this coach long, you know, um, you know, you, you said it early on, but you know, they, they got to be really a good coach to put up with you. Uh, <laughs> For sure. <laughs> you know, but, you know, but anything you would have done different now? I don't think there's anything I done. I would do different. Um, obviously, I'd like to be more coachable and, and and more open to 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 what he was, you know, trying to teach me. Um, I think every athlete probably looks back and and says that. Um, but but certainly, you learn a lot about yourself, and and you uh, you learn how far that how far you're willing to push yourself, um, and you also figure out that. Uh, that what, however far you think you can go, there's always more that you can go, right? There's always more you can do. There's, you can train harder, you can eat better, you can, uh, you know, do more core. You, there's always more you can do. And I think um, it's part of the reason that that uh, you hear um, people that, that hire young people for jobs, um, they, they're partial to athletes because, uh, you know, athletes are always willing to go a little bit further. They they understand that uh, that there's always more gas in the tank for them. All right, awesome. So this this is another question just for all the hurdlers that's watching this program or any 400 meter runner. Tell us your favorite workout. As, you know that you um, like doing as an athlete back 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 in your good good glory days. My good glory days. We. <laughs> We did a lot of split fours and split fives, right? 300 plus 200, 300 plus 100. Um, and and there's, there's one particular where we ran three plus two and, and I ran 32 and 22 on two minutes rest. And Ricardo Chambers tried to break, break my record his entire career that I, that I coached him and he never could. And so that, 
just for that reason, it's probably my favorite favorite workout. So sorry, Ricardo, uh, but but I love that workout because it it required great speed and great ability, but it also required the the ability to turn your brain off and just uh, enjoy the pain, you know. So that that was my favorite one, and and ultimately I was a good 400 hurdler, but in hindsight, maybe I could have been a better quarter miler if I had set my mind to that earlier on. But, uh, you know, once you're labeled a quarter hurdler, that's what you do. So. All right. Yeah. And, and it's pretty tough to do both. So, you know, yes. eventually you just have to um, focus on one and eventually it hurts you 400 in the long run because, yes. um, you know, I'm the type of guy that could get out faster in the herders than the open 400. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the herders, the obstacle that I'm attacking and I'm being aggressive, it's easier for me than to run without doing anything. You know, when I'm running without the herders, sometimes I'm, I feel like I'm, 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 I got a flat. You know, it just, you know, <laughs> I, I, it, it doesn't feel comfortable. You know, you know, for really? the most part. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. four by four is different on the relay. Um, yes. You know, always enjoy those. I pretty much just run the whole thing from start to finish. You know, uh, as fast as I can. You know, just yep. like time trial. You know, I just try to go and there's you know you know in really you know you're trying to make up the stagger you try to bring your team so it's like a sacrifice that you, you got to make sometimes so yeah that's no I, I love relays i think i think relays give athletes an opportunity to to go beyond where they their comfort zone um and uh it's it's a great learning tool all right awesome so ju just to add another part what was the other workout that you hated um when coach tell you have you got to do that workout to be like man coach um what are you thinking two 200 400 200 200 on a minute rest 200 400 okay all right uh, i never done that one before um you know i it's it's more for me it's more like the 500 600 um, yeah yeah you know. i didn't I didn't like those either, but but a thousand meters of running in sort of four minutes, just man, it it, yeah, I wasn't good like that, and and I was definitely a speed guy, right? Like I ran twenty point six in the two hundred. I, I wasn't a strength guy, so um, you know I much preferred the stuff where we went fast. All right, all right, we're gonna move over to the coaching career. Um, you know, might go back to one or two questions, but. Just since we're going to talk about coach, you've been two-time Olympian. You pretty much ran professionally and traveled all over the world, competed in many world championships. How that make you a better coach, knowing that um, you got so many athletic experience and um, accomplishment as an athlete, how that make you become a better coach, in your opinion? Well, I think in two ways. I, I, think, I think coaching is like most jobs where um, there's, there's no substitute for experience, right? Uh, I think when you're a young coach, you, you understand what the recipe says and, and how to build, you know, bake the cake. But, uh, the, the more times you bake the cake, the more times you realize that maybe, uh, you know, a dab of this or a little bit more of that makes the cake taste better. So I, I think that the two things that, that it helps with are, are, one, the ability to, to see the bigger picture, um, to, to understand that a young athlete who comes to you at 17 or 18 years old that says, I want to go to the Olympic Games, and you're like, man, you're a long way from there. But, but 
I was that kid. I was that young athlete. So I think it gives me that that ability to to see the bigger picture. Um, and then the other thing is is the ability to 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 not just say to the athlete, "Hey, I've been where you want to go. I've been where you are," um, but also to to be able to sit back as a coach and say, you know, all right, this young athlete is has a a, a season where there's Olympic games, there's a, a qualifying mark, there's a, a, a trials or whatever it is. How are we going to plan this year? Um, how would I have wanted my coach to discuss that? How would I have wanted my coach to to plan out my collegiate season um, with, you know, with, with, with the ability to look at the Olympic games as well? Um, I think one of the, the things that that a lot of foreign athletes are scared about when they come to the States is the idea that they'll get run into the ground during the collegiate season, that they'll race too often and things like that. Um, and I've prided myself in, in the fact that my athletes have always run well at the World Championships, the Olympic Games, the Commonwealth Games, uh, you know, Carifta, whatever it is, because I've made sure that those were part of my plan because I understand that it's not just about the NCAA meet for a lot of kids, right? There's there's bigger goals out there. All right, awesome. And um, I'm gonna get a bonus question in and then we'll, we'll just um, be over to you. So just tell us a little bit about your coaching career. Um, obviously you started out of Florida State, um, you know, you have accomplished so much in Florida State, but just what was some of the challenges as a young coach when you started out? Um, yeah, the, the, the first thing was to learn how to recruit, right? Um, you know, if you're a college coach in America, the, the coaching part of it is, is only half the battle. Um, you know, going out and recruiting talented young athletes, uh, people that you, that you truly feel like fit your way of coaching, your system, um, and then balancing the, the athlete's the, the, the three things in their life, right? Their personal life, their academics, and then their, their athletics. So, and, and learning how to, to guide an athlete, I think when you're a young coach is really difficult. Um, you know, I was, I was a volunteer coach at Florida State. Um, I had Brian Zingai, who was fourth in Beijing in the 200. Um, and he really helped me because we were both from Zimbabwe and, and he came to Florida State because I was there and we coached each other. Um, you know, he helped me be a better coach and I helped him be a better athlete. But we were we had a great relationship. We still do to this day where um, we're very open with each other. We were able to communicate very openly and he was able to say, hey, look, you know, I, I don't think I don't think this is the right way to do things because this is how it makes me feel. And I'm like, OK. Well, let's take a step back and let's look at it. So we truly learned together. Um, and, you know, to his credit, Brian was probably the hardest working athlete that I've ever been around. Um, he was a true master of his craft. Um, but it, I would not have been as successful with Walter Dix and Ricardo Chambers if it hadn't been for Brian Zingai. Um, he truly was, was the beginning of my career. All right, awesome. Over to you, Ian Thomas. Okay, Coach Arden, um, now that you have transitioned into the whole coaching, uh, what would you say is the most um, challenging factor affecting our athletes today? Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, I, I think that you're talking about the Jamaican athletes or the athletes in general. In general, in athletes, uh, you could you could okay. generalize, but then you could also touch base on third world tools. You know, that okay. could could also break it down. I I think I think in terms of of all the athletes, one of the hardest things is um, that the the professional ranks have have shrunk in size. Right when when Ian and I were competing, there were you could run a track meet every other day if you wanted to in Europe, right? You could go to Italy and run a, a race on Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday every week for the whole summer. Um, and now they've shrunk the European circuit so much um, that there's there's far less opportunities to become a professional athlete. Now, what that's done is it's forced a lot of junior athletes to move to the NCAA system. It's why you've seen far more European athletes in the NCAA system because they don't have those opportunities either. Um, but it's truly become a sport where uh, there's a lot of money at the top and very little money at the bottom. Um, and I think that's one of the hardest things for, for athletes trying to go beyond college. Um, in terms of the college scene, uh, I don't think anything's that hard. I think if if you do your research and there's plenty of research out there and, and you look at a coach's uh, their resume and you say well I'm going to go there because that coach is going to coach me well that coach has been able to take other athletes where I want to go um, then I think you you will be successful when when athletes pick universities based on the weather's better they have uh, a nicer cafeteria they you know those those things don't they, they don't uh contribute to the ultimate goal right uh if you're going there because they have your major if you're going there because the coach is successful if you're going there because you're comfortable with the team and things like that those are things that affect you day in day out um so i think some of the time uh we get athletes especially from countries like like jamaica and zimbabwe where they haven't had an opportunity to to research enough um and they haven't been given good enough advice and uh and i think that's difficult okay um your time uh um, being a professional athlete what would be one very important lesson that you have learned um i i tell you one of the things that that alan johnson told me right at the beginning was was understand that your agent touches every penny you make um and and you need to pick an agent wisely uh you need to make sure that that uh if somebody's going to touch all your money that that uh that they're doing right by you um and i think you know it's it's not it has nothing to do with running fast but it has everything to do with your 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 mental state right i want to make sure that that i got enough money for for me to be comfortable and be able to train hard and do the work i want to do so um, limiting the outside stresses and allowing yourself to be a great athlete. Um, you know, we we watch the 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 NBA players, the basketball players, and uh, you know they're all fit and they're in great shape and they're this and that. Next thing, well, their outside uh, stressors are limited, right? They they have a professional cook, they have somebody to drive them, they have all those things, so. 
they remove so many stresses from their life. And I think if, if you're a young athlete today and, and you can remove the stresses and, and be able to focus on the things that are important, that's a, that's a big deal. Back to you, Ian. All right. Awesome. 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 So before we get into um, some, some, some more of the uh, program, I want to go ahead and just um, share um, some of your um, coaching philosophy, your coaching technique, um, just some of your work that you have put out there, um, some of your teaching. You're like a coaching is like a teacher also. So mm -hmm. Just from uh, that perspective, um, just want to share with you and I ask you a few questions about, um, yeah, what the work that you have, you have done. Mm -hmm. So let me... Uh, You can know all the drills and see them all and watch them on YouTube, but unless you understand how they fit together and the sequence that makes sense, it's very difficult to have an athlete be successful. Spinning is all about putting the correct mix together. How do I build my page? Is it 30 meters? Is it 38 meters? How do I train max velocity? Am I doing flying 30s off a 20 meter run in or am I doing it off a 30 meter run in? We want that foot on and off the ground as quick as possible. So we're gonna stand up, we're gonna take the foot up here and we're gonna attack the ground. There's a misconception that if I turn over really fast, I'm going to go somewhere. And the reality is the relationship between stride length and stride frequency is definitely a balance. He holds the 90 degree angle in the front and the back, allowing him to drive with the elbow down and create force into the ground. So we're going to talk a little bit about low heel recovery and the positives and the negatives. We've built this course around a plan that'll take you from the first day of training all the way to that meet that's the most important competition of the year. That includes how to build training cycles, do's and don'ts of sprinting, great drills, great technique stuff. So if he drops the chin on his chest, he'll tuck the hips under, and that creates a pulling motion down the track, which can put the hamstring at risk. You were spinning a basketball on your finger. Once it's moving, I just have to gently tap it. That's how running is. All right, coach. So now that we watched that video, um, one of the questions that I would love to ask you, um, what what do you enjoy about coaching? Uh, I, I love watching the progression of young people. Um, you know, when when you when you take an athlete and and you try to teach them your way of doing things or what you 
you believe is the the correct way and, and when the light bulb turns on and they and it clicks uh it's a phenomenal moment um you know i you you know dorian scott dorian scott yeah. was a jamaican olympian shot putter and and dorian and i coached together at florida state for for many years and and we always said that this was our second career right uh, i'm not in this for fame i'm not in this for glory i love coaching uh, I love to tell people I drive the van. That's my job, right? I make sure my athletes are, are at the track. Um, but it's truly about about them being able to experience the things I did, right? The NCAA championship, the world championship final, being an Olympian. So I just love watching the, the light bulb turn on. It's it's a special, special moment. All right, awesome. So j- just to get into a little more specific, um, Talk about some of your individual accomplishments uh, on the professional side, um, you know, that um, you have, have coached over the years and just, you know, somebody that you you enjoy coaching and um, it was just an honor to coach. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Brian Zinga is easily that person, right? Uh, you know, the guy is, he's five foot five and a half on a good day. Um, you know, he got fourth in Beijing in the 200. His PR is 2013, but he ran like 2021, 2017, 2013. You know, uh, he just did it all right. But he he truly worked harder than anyone I've seen. Uh, when when he arrived, he was a, a true 100, 200 guy that didn't really like to train for the 200. You know, he used to tell me that anything past 150 was too far. Um, and, and we sat down, we discussed how to be a great 200 meter guy. Um, you know, he was, he's built like a guy who should have run the hundred and yet he ran great 200s. And, and part of it was because he bought into the concept that, um, you don't have to run the 400 to be a great 200 meter runner, but you have to train like a quarter miler some of the time. And, uh, he truly bought into it, but coaching him was, was, uh, certainly an honor. There's um you there's two types of athletes you you get to coach in college uh one is the the super talented person that uh that you're managing part of the time and some of the time you're coaching and then there's the athletes that you you truly coach up and and uh and and take them from one one level to the next so uh brian zinga is just a special human being in general not just on the track and and i think Oftentimes you're drawn to, to athletes because they're very successful uh, in their sport. But when you find athletes are successful uh, elsewhere and they're good people, then those those special athletes. All right. Awesome. And, and you talk a little bit about velocity and, uh, you know, movement and, you know, making up ground and the technique of running. Um, is it a difference uh, to quote certain athletes, taller athletes or shorter athletes, or or, or it's just, it's one formula down the board? No, I, I I truly believe that that you have to develop a different formula for every athlete. You know, I I coached the Borlay brothers when when they were in college, right, Kevin and Jonathan, and yeah. they're twins. You know, uh, Jonathan's run. 44 41 and kevin's run 44 48 they're about as similar as you can get any two athletes on this planet but jonathan can run 2020 and kevin can only run 2070 but kevin can run 
I think he's run one fifteen indoors in the six hundred, and and Jonathan's not built like that. So, uh, you, if you can't build a formula for each individual athlete, then you will be successful part of the time. Um, you know, I think when when I look back at my coaching career, um, I'm yes, there've been some great highs and some athletes that have done amazing things and won medals and, and all those kinds of things. But for me, the fact that almost every single athlete, I think bar two that I've coached have gotten better while I coach them, that tells me that I'd be able to develop formulas for the individual, not just for the group. Um, so uh, yes, there's some different things. If you're five foot five, Brian Zingai versus uh, you know, six foot six, you're saying bolt. Sure. There's some things that you have to train differently. Um, you know, in, in that, that, uh, educational video that you, you posted there, we talk about, uh, Ngoni Makusha ran 989, right. And he long jumped 840 and Walter Dix ran 988 and, and ran 195 in the 200. Um, and when you look at the numbers, they're very similar, but Walter Dix was was essentially a, a cross between a football player and a boxer. Um, you know, I, I've never seen an athlete be able to to handle a volume of work that Walter Dix could handle. Um, he could train twice as much in terms of volume as Ngoni could, um, but Ngoni was built different, and and he had some special things to him. So uh, when we put together those training plans, they there was an overlap of say 30 or 40% in terms of training, but the other 50 or 60% was very different for each one. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason that they were both so successful. All right. Awesome. 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 Well, thanks for that explanation there. Um, over to you, Ian, I'll get to you. Um, not fall asleep over there. <laughs> uh, I just want to say today, today was a tough day, man. I've been running all day, but you know, Always a pleasure to come back to your passion, you know. So, um, Harden, quick question for you. you know. I know you, you know, been through the ropes. You did your days on the field, running from traveling all over the world. And now we are at a state in our life where the pandemic had hit us. We're not able to travel that much. As a coach, I know you have your athletes, but there probably would have been some events that you would be going at least to get a good look at your athletes, where they are, and so forth. How difficult is that now that we are facing a pandemic? Your mic is mute. Yep. Sorry. It's, Ian has changed a lot. There's, there's certainly... Um, you know, our lifeblood as a college coach in America is recruiting, right? It's, it's everything we do. Um, and uh, the ability to go in and see young people and, and talk to them face to face for me is, is a really big deal. Because uh, when you look across the board at the athletes that, that I've coached, um, only some of them were great juniors, right? A handful of them. Most of them were, you know, Makusha ran 10-6 in high school. Um, Kamar Hyman ran 10-6 in high school. Brian Zingai ran 10-7 in high school. So uh, I, I love the opportunity to go talk to athletes face-to-face, -face, uh, observe them, 
um, because I think that that gives me more knowledge about the young person, not just, you know, a time, right? Not just, okay, you ran X. Uh, we have a, a young girl on the team, Joella Lloyd. She's a sprinter from Antigua. Uh, she was second to Carifta behind um, uh, Williams. And I think she's going to be special. But uh, CJ Green ran for me at Georgia. And he told me about her. And he said, hey, she's very talented and this and that. And I went down there to, to meet her and and watch her practice. And within three minutes of, of having a conversation with her, I knew I had to coach her because she's just a special young person. Um, and so I think it, it has changed some things, certainly for the athletes that we have on the team. Uh, their ability to to be flexible and pliable has been tested extremely this the last six or seven months. And uh, I think they're all very excited to get back on the track and, and go back to what they know you know what what they're accustomed to i guess we all can't wait to have um, the athletes hitting the tracks you know so much of our sports been taken away from us <laughs> you yes. know I actually get to the point that some of us are even getting depressed you know we're, we're used to a certain lifestyle certain routine you know now it's like we have to pivot you know you know is that like yes. for me we play a lot of cricket now we see days that and looks beautiful beautiful sunshine the weather is good but yet still you're here and man you can't use the park <laughs> you know yeah so it, it, it's some tough days that we're going through yeah and another question is how does this affect the mental part of the sports and you know, the athlete mentally how does it affect them personally now uh, i i think in in a huge way right um and it can be positive and negative i think there there's some athletes that certainly have struggled the last eight or nine months because they they enjoy the competition more than they enjoy the process right they like to compete um far more than they like to train so i think those athletes have struggled i think uh there's a a, a subset of that group that um that enjoys the process and and likes the hard work and the training um so th there's definitely different groups of athletes and and we've seen that even on our team um but the the ability of the coach to be uh to think outside the box right to have um inner squad meets to to give the athlete goals along the way to be able to say well look if we can't compete uh, at a competition with other universities, then we're going to compete with ourselves. So, um, you know, our goal is to be better in the weight room. Our goal is to to be able to get, you know, nine out of ten block starts correct. Our goal is to be able to to do better in class and, and manage our our lives and, and balance our lives better. So, um, I think there 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 been some opportunities, but it's certainly been hard, especially on on some of our younger athletes. You know, I think the the freshmen, the first year athletes this this last year, because they all they know of college is a is a COVID year. And so that's been really difficult on the young the young group. Um, and then I think the, the follow on to that uh, is that you've got all these athletes that now have been granted another year of eligibility. And that's really affected how much scholarship money is out there for for this next group of athletes. Thank you for sharing. That was pretty deep right there. You know, 
So definitely we can't wait for this pandemic to be past, you know, be over with. Yes. All right, yeah, back to you. Yeah. All right. Taking that drink up my North Carolina cup, man. Go heels. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that that's one of the things that um I missed the, you know, I, I'm not able to go to any game. I was looking forward. Um, I take pride in, that's like my hobby. I like to go to sports and event. And, sure. uh, you know, you know, we living down here in in, 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 in the Raleigh-Durham area. We only got college sport. Um, so, you know, we. T- I take big pride into it. I know, you know, you, you into down in Tennessee. And, you know, so let's talk about... Um, your 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 role um as as a coach now obviously you have have uh, probably over you know and you could correct me you're probably going on over 15 20 years of coaching experience mm-hmm. um you know you know so and i know that you're not planning to retire anytime soon <laughs> you know but i don't know uh, do you retire from coaching i mean but anyway um what are your strengths? Tell us a little bit about you as a coach, just knowing the type of person that you are. And you probably could give me two or three uh, of your strengths as a coach. Just just looking back at it, that's something that you know that um, these are uh, something that I must demonstrate and let my athlete know that uh, this is part of the formula for success. Right. Well, I think I think as a college coach, the, the the first thing is that that you have to understand that that every athlete is important, right? And and I think um, if you go through my career, um, the athletes that I've coached will tell you that that I care, um, not just about how well they compete, but um, how their life is going in general, right? Um, you know, how is your family? How's your your grades? How you know how all those things. Um, I've graduated every kid I've coached, um, and that's a big deal for me. Uh, when you when you come from a third world country, uh, and you have an opportunity like this, to 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 get a, a degree and to, to have something paid for by somebody else, um, that's a, a a hugely important thing. It's it's an important thing if you grow up in this country, but if you come from a third world country and somebody offers to pay for your education, uh, then then that's a big deal. And so I think I prided myself in, in making that a priority for me. Um, and then the other thing that when you go recruit young people, uh, they want to be successful, right? That's why they're, they're still competing in their sport and they're still trying to be, to be great. And uh, I like to win. Um, I like to compete. So, and, and you and I had plenty of battles against each other on the track, right? And, yeah. and you're a great competitor. And, and, you were tough as nails, so we went. We battled, um, and I'm not shying away from any battle. I like to compete, so um, and I think my athletes appreciate that. That that uh, you know we're we're gonna go to battle together. It's it's a it's not a war. It's a battle. It's it's a chance to to go and and see who's best today, and then go back tomorrow and and work some more. So I think those two things the athletes appreciate. Okay. All right. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about team success and how important it is um, for athlete and coach relationship in terms of um, trust. Now, um, how how difficult it is, or um, <laughs> it is to train an athlete that 
doesn't trust you or doesn't have the belief. Is it possible? Can you train an athlete that? No. <laughs> no, I look. You you can train them, um, and they'll have some marginal success based solely on their athletic ability, right? Yeah. Um, but but I, no, it's very difficult, and it's and they're one of the hardest parts about the the college coaching scenario is you every athlete you get was coached by somebody else before they got here, right? And you know it's not Usain Bolt who had the same coach from when he was what 12 13 years old right you're yeah. getting a young adult who was successful with coach whoever uh at a high school level and you're throwing him in the deep end of the NCAA and we all know that, that the NCAA is as close to world class track and field as you can get right um you know 2017 CJ Green ran 1005 in the 100 at NCAAs and didn't make the final. And three months later, it took 10:09 to make the World Championship final. So this is world-class track and field. And when you're young and you get thrown in the deep end, uh, it's hard to keep an athlete uh, focused and positive with what you're doing. So um, I think the communication is huge, both ways. And and if you can keep an athlete communicating back and forth with you, you can be successful. Um, but if an athlete doesn't believe and they truly believe that there's this is not the way to do it then uh you're not gonna be successful and those athletes you have to sit down and have a conversation with right um you know be part of be part of the the success um you know i tell most of the kids when they come in that uh my expectation in their first year is for them to just listen do what they're told and listen um your sophomore year i think you should you should be over there asking questions why why are we doing this um how does this make me better? Uh, and then junior and senior year, we're in a partnership. I want feedback. I want you to know your your body well enough. I want you to know my system well enough that you can come in and say, hey coach, I feel like I need a little more speed work. Hey coach, I feel like I need a little more strength work. Um, so if you get good mature young athletes, then uh, I think those things are, are doable. All right, awesome. So ju just so you talk about um, the, the trust and athlete relationship. Um, so for the athletes that believe in you and trust you, um, what are some of the things you do to motivate them? <laughs> um, or they got to find the motivation themselves? <laughs> yeah, look, there. I would say less than 10% of the athletes that I've coached that I need to motivate. Um, you know, I think 90% of them are self-motivated and, and that, that goes back to the recruiting process, right? Uh, you know, I, I went, the first time I met Ricardo Chambers, I knew Ricardo was going to do whatever it took to be successful. Um, not just on the track, but in life, right? I mean, you, you look at his farming venture right now, like, man, that dude, he's, he's built a farm out of the side of a mountain, you know, it, where there was nothing it was just jungle right so um you know he's he's a tough dude and and, and he's going to be successful in everything he puts his mind to and that's what drew me to him um and i think the recruiting process you you don't get it right all the time but if you know what you're looking for and you go get that athlete that's that's motivated intrinsically then then i think you can be successful all the time okay awesome well we know that the um the, the nca system um in the united states is one of the best well it's the best in the world 
um, nowhere in the world has that type of uh, a system where um, you know you you get to compete. You know, and it's similar to the high school system in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. It's very competitive, and and the thing, um, you know, what are some of the, the the pros in terms of why you think that the NCA overall at least performs so well? Well, I think the the sheer numbers indicate that there's going to be successful athletes, right? When when you talk about you go to the NCAA meet and there's 21 events, men and women, and there's you know 24 athletes per event at the NCAA meet, and on average it took, let's just take the men's hundred, it took 10:18 to get there, right? So there's 24 athletes there that have run 10:1 or better. Um, you're going to have successful athletes come out of that system because of sheer numbers. And I think when you when you look at the last four or five years, the depth of track and field uh, in the NCAA has, has has grown in leaps and bounds. Right? Uh, you you go back to when you and I were running, and if you ran under 50 seconds, it was a big deal. Right? Yeah. There weren't that many dudes running under 50, and now. There's more guys running 48 seconds than they were running 49 when we were around. Um, and I think, again, I go back to, I think there's two factors involved in that. One is that there's there's not the opportunity for foreign athletes to make the jump from juniors to seniors very easily. So they, they're coming to the States and they're being part of the NCAA system, right? When you see a young athlete like Sydney McLaughlin even though she only spent one year in college, but she didn't turn pro immediately and she'd already been on an Olympic team. Okay. So that's the first thing. And then the other thing I think that, that has ballooned, especially the men's sprints is the concussions in football. Uh, you, you're seeing a lot of young athletes that are choosing track and field or their parents are choosing track and field because of the concussions. If you go back to when concussions became a real talking point about 10 or 12 years ago, uh, you'll see the rise in the numbers of athletes that are running fast, um, yeah. especially in the men's sprints. Yeah. Well, yeah, talking about concussion, I mean, I know playing soccer in Jamaica growing up, especially in third world country, and Ian could tell you about that because he probably had one of those and he didn't even know about it. Uh, yep, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, but yeah. So just just to move along, um, you know, and I want to get into um, the mental part of uh, coaching athletes. Um, how much emphasis do you put on the, their mental part? Because um, you know that you know you could train the athletes physically, and you could get to do the workout, and you could get the results in practice, and you're not getting the results at the meet. So right. how, how important it is um, from a mental standpoint and how much work did you put in and how, how do you, uh, what's your philosophy on that? Uh, look, I think it's everything. Um, but but I think it's it's like everything else we do in life. If if there's consistency to it, then then it can be something that will show up in the, in the tough times, right? When the pressure's on. Uh, if it's something you only do part of the time, then generally it's not going to show up when when you need it to. So, you know, we talk about the mental preparation every single day. When when I post my workouts for the next week or the next two weeks or whatever it is, um, we like to put in notes about what the focus is for that athlete for that day. 
because I want them to be mentally prepared. Um, because I, I feel like one of the things that's missed in our sport is that, that athletes can go through the motion Monday through Friday and then try to turn the switch on Saturday and it doesn't often work. Um, so we, we talk so much about consistency in everything we do and the mental aspect is part of that. So, you know, I try to create as much as I can scenarios in practice that mirror what we're going to do in competition, right? Um, I like to have groups of athletes that train together uh, that have um, different strengths and weaknesses. You know, if, if you're a great starter, then, uh, you know, I, I want you to do some longer work with people that are great finishers because I want you to work on your weakness and I want you to be able to mentally withstand the knowledge that tomorrow I'm going to go work on being able to finish, which is a weakness for me. So that's that's the first part of it. Um, you know, we early in the conversation, we talked about 1995. I didn't win a race the whole summer. And I remember talking to Derek Atkins, who was world champ that year. Yeah. And he said to me, he goes, he goes, look, you're lining up here with seven other dudes and they're all physically just as talented as you. But the mental part of this is everything. You have to be able to walk out there and say, I'm going to be better than those other seven guys today. Um, and how am I going to get there? What am I going to do? Uh, so, you know, things like that. I think the, the mental part of our sport is everything. Uh, if you show up at the NCAA championships or you show up at the world championships or the Olympic games, uh, you're there for a reason because you're physically talented. The question is, can you mentally withstand the pressure? Um, which ultimately, if we look at the greatest athlete our sport has ever produced, uh, Mr. Bolt, that's the difference between him and every other sprinter in history. He was able to treat the Olympic final the same way he did Gibson relays, right? He treated it exactly the same. You, you watched him be himself in that moment because he practiced being himself every day. Um, and I think that consistency is a big part of it. But but how how it's kind of hard. Everybody at the time gonna say they're mentally ready, um, you know. Um, you know some people are not honest with themselves. And um, as a coach, you know, um, you know it, it's always, you know, it, it's always hard to say. You know, um, you can look back at it sometime and you could be like, look, you know. Um, but do do you do you think that more emphasis? Um, need to be um you know a mental coaching in terms of um it's you know separately from what you do Ian, i think it's I, I i yes there has to be more right and and for me um i have i have tailored so much of what i've done watching usain bolt right i sat in osaka uh in 07 in the hotel and talked to him for hours one night um, and having watched what he was become what he then became, um, if you take your athlete and every day you mentally put them in a position uh, where they have to work hard, where they have to execute, where they are comfortable with their craft, then when they get to a pressure situation, they're not questioning the execution or the ability to do something, then they're able to, to be the best athlete 
they can be, right? Um, so if you take an athlete and and you never show them how to do block starts, but you you train them max velocity every day and they're super fit and you know they're ready to run a fast 200, but they they haven't done any practice in the blocks. There's anxiety related to going out and racing, right? Because they have to get in the blocks. So I think as a coach, you have to check all the boxes and remove as much of the anxiety as you can from an athlete uh, and allow them to be mentally prepared. And their mental preparation uh, is only good if you as a coach have checked all those boxes. Awesome, awesome. Well said, coach. So with that said and done, um, you know, with, with, where are you at in your coaching career? You have accomplished a lot. Um, is there any, uh, um, what are some of the goals that you, you, you know, you, you have that uh, if you want to share with us, um, you know? I, I tell you what, Ian, I, I love doing what I'm doing. I've had opportunities to be a head coach. Um, I, I've, you know, I've, got, I've coached at three great universities. I really enjoy doing what I'm doing. I, I'm doing what I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't need to be a head coach. Um, I like coaching sprinters. I like coaching fast people. I enjoy doing this. And uh, so my goals are simply, you know, to, to get the athletes that I get to coach today, get them to where they want to be and then go find the next, you know, the next one, the next great one. Um, I enjoy the recruiting process. So yeah, I'm doing, I'm literally living my dream. I love my job. You know, at some point uh, when I don't have to pay for kids anymore, I will retire and go back to Zimbabwe and and fish every day. But until then, I, I'm truly doing what I love to do. Awesome, awesome. I hope I could visit your your country um, one day. I never got the opportunity, but um, you need to come. On, yeah, it's on my list. Um, you know, I, I definitely want to do it. So um, I'm going to get this question and get you over to Ian and then we wrap it up. Um, so for, for each athlete, I know you said in terms of the freshmen when they comes in, um, you don't have a lot of expectation for them, but what for an athlete that attend your university, you recruited, you coach, what's your goal for that athlete? <laughs> what do you want when the athletes show up and, mm-hmm. and when they're leaving? What do you as a coach, what's your goal for that athlete? Well, when, when I've recruited that athlete, one of the conversations that I've had with them and their family is, is what are your goals, right? What are your goals academically? What are your goals as a person? What are your goals on the track? Um, and we've written those down. And then when they arrive on campus their first year, um, we have a one-on-one meeting and we, we reconnect with those goals, okay? Uh, I, I want to be an accountant. Okay, well, what do we have to do? Um, I want to be an Olympian. Cool. What do we have to do? I want to be a leader in the community. What do we have to do? So, so much of, of what we do uh, in life, people, people are so caught up in the first step. And so many people are paralyzed by that first step because they don't know which direction to go. And, you know, we, we have a philosophy, or I have a philosophy in my coaching that is, Let's figure out where we're going and work our way backwards, right? So when we plan a season with an athlete, we sit down, we start with the last meet of the season and we work our way back to today, okay? We build everything in reverse. So this year, for example, Joella Lloyd, the young girl from Antigua, her goal is 
the Olympic Games, but maybe a bigger goal is World Junior Championships. So we started with the Olympic Games. We worked our way back through Worlds. We worked our way back through the NCAA meet, back through the outdoor season, back through the indoor season, and then we determined our training cycles. We determined our plan. We looked at her class schedule. We figured out what classes she needed to take in the fall because she couldn't take them in the summer because she'd be at World Juniors. We looked at how much time she needed to be able to go home over the summer because she didn't get to go home over Christmas because of the quarantine. So we've really truly worked our way back from the from the end to the beginning. And if you do that with an athlete, whether it's a one-year plan for this season or it's a four-year plan for their their college career, or it's an eight-year plan through the next two Olympic Games.、Um, I think if you do that with each athlete, they're able to see the steps and they're able to appreciate where we're going. And, they, and when they can see the over the overreaching goal, then they can understand that sometimes we take two steps forward, and there's, there's some days we take one step back, but ultimately we're still headed all in the same direction. All right, awesome, awesome, coach, and and.、Um... And just, just, just for this bonus question, and in terms of、um, journaling, as a coach,、uh, how much emphasis do you put on journaling, or is up to each athlete? On on what? Sorry, journaling. You know, keep、oh, a record.、Down. Yeah, I I write down every workout we do, but I very seldom put in the the outcome of the workout.、Um, I don't like to compare, you know, January seventh, twenty twenty one, to January seventh, twenty nineteen, because the athlete's two years older.、Uh, there's a pandemic; it's different. There's,、uh, you know, there's a, a ton of factors, right? She had a boyfriend; she doesn't have a boyfriend. He had a girlfriend; he doesn't have a girlfriend. They broke up last week. You know, they're in a good spot. So,、um, you know, I like to write down what we did. But not necessarily the the actual times of of the workout. I have some athletes that that、uh, that write down everything. You know how I felt before, after, during,、um, and I have some that couldn't tell you what they did last week.、Um, so so I think it's again very much an individual thing. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Over to you, Ian. <laughs> All right, coach. Just before before I fall asleep here,、uh, quick question in terms of. Coach to athlete relationship. How important is that relationship in involving even the trust between both parties? I think it's huge.、Um, you know, there's the the athletes that I recruit so often、um, are here because of of an athlete I had before, right?、Um, you remember World Juniors two years ago? Christopher Taylor was the favorite in the four hundred, right?、Um, And the young man from Belgium beat him, and that young man is on our team here today,、um, and he's here because the Borlet twins were—I coached them at Florida State—and、um, and I treated them the right way.、Uh, I did right by them. I I did things the right way, and they trust me, and therefore I get an opportunity to work with the next young great athlete from Belgium. So、um, that trust is huge. It's very difficult to to build that trust during a recruiting process, right? You talk to a kid on the on the phone. Every now and again, you do a Zoom call. They come to campus for two days.、Um, 
it's not a true relationship. So I think a lot of times uh, you're building that relationship off past relationships uh, with athletes they know, athletes they trust, or whatever it is. Um, you know, Carrie McLeod is, uh, you know, one of your great young upcoming athletes. Uh, he's here at Tennessee. Wayne Wayne Pinnock is probably the next long great long jumper in in the in the list behind him. He's about to arrive on our campus next week, and he's coming because of of Kerry, right? What Kerry said to him, and how Kerry feels about being here. So, I think that trust is so often passed on by the athletes that you've coached prior to. Thank you very much. I'm back to you, Ian. All right, coach. So, um, Garlic probably got one or one or two more questions. Uh, I'm going to show one more clip before I actually question, um, and then we're going to let you go um, right. up to the two-hour mark. Um, thank you for that, man. It's you know some great work that you have done, and, uh, and I'm pretty sure that your um, you know your course is going to help a lot of uh, other young coaches out there. Uh, you know, in terms of um, just knowing that um, you know, I, I just said it before that you know you can watch some of these things on YouTube, but you don't understand the um, the phases of, of of the whole process of how to get someone to 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 run their best at a certain time you know so different phases and and different things so um you know so with, with that said coach um you know the last question here that i have is um ken harden two-time olympian three-time world championship representative for zimbabwe the nca champion um how you want to be known for um as an athlete tell us that first and as a coach how well, you want good, to be known and remember good question 
Um, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd like to be remembered as somebody who works hard, right? Um, yeah. Somebody that that uh, that represented my country, represented my family well. That uh, that at, at every juncture worked as hard as they could, um, and uh, and somebody that treated people really well. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to think that the athletes that I've coached with um, will will tell you for the most part that that I care about them, that that I that I truly um, care about their success and their lives. Um, but but ultimately, uh, I will never be outworked. So I'd like to be remembered for that. All right. All right. Appreciate that, Coach. Um, like your 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 energy. I I like. You know, I figured that um, being a, a dedicated and a passion passionate worker uh, with 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 all the attributes you has as a former athlete. Um, you know, we're looking for you to do big things. Um, any any possibility of you? Um, coaching back in Zimbabwe as a part of the national team in, in the future? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think when when my kids are old enough to go to college and, and they're out of the house, then uh, I'd like to go back and give back some, um, you know, and be able to do some work there. I do seminars there when I go home and, and things like that and, and try to give back. You know, my I've always felt like my opportunity is right now is to bring athletes here. And uh, Brian Zingai um, and a couple of us former Zimbabweans, we work really hard to, to find scholarships for, for young kids from, from over there. So yeah, I'd like to go back. Um, certainly it's, as you know, home is always home, right? So right. ultimately I want to go back. All right. And uh, I'm going to throw this one in, you know, knowing that you spend a lot of time on the track, um, you know, coaching athletes, you know, all day, sometime all through the day. What what is what 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 you do in the, in the in the in your free time away from track? Uh, what coach does to relax himself and to get regroup and you know to to come back again the next day? I, I I'll be honest, Ian. Fishing fishing is my my hobby, right? I love to fish. Um, it relaxes me. It calms me down. I, I I have a little bit of an ADD problem. I find it very difficult to sit still. I, I'm high energy, so um, but fishing seems to be able to get me me calm so so that's what i do i enjoy it um it's something i i grew up doing with my dad my grandfather so um it's it's something it's a special place in my heart so i like to fish all right so my final thoughts before i send you over to ian to to close it out um again i just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart um it's always good to um you know to talk to or to chat or have a conversation with um, someone that you compete against, um, you know, and, you know, for many years, probably um, all the way from 94, all the way up to, uh, I didn't retire till 2008. <laughs> so, yeah. And you're so. still training. <laughs> you're still in better shape than all of us. So hopefully I could, you know, I could get better. Um, I'm doing a little bit of reading. I'm listening to you. You know, um, now that I'm older and um, I'm taking care of myself, now I can, you know, do a little bit of things, um, prioritize a little things in terms of, um, you know, eating better. And, you know, I, I got money to buy what I need now and, and things like that. So, you know, I'm hoping that I could do better. But no, uh, but, you know, so want to thank you for sharing your experience, you know, going back. I know that. 
life is so much into coaching right now and you know um, you're looking ahead you know trying to outdo your coat your athletic career in coaching you know you're trying to coach guys to win gold medal and NCAA champion doing way better than what you did you know it's always the goal for me um yeah i yes. you know i'm always looking forward to see if i could help someone um to, to do better uh, i wasn't able to win a medal it would be a great feeling to actually work with someone that actually won a medal uh in the olympics you know just you know that's probably the closest i'm gonna get so i thank you for your time I also want to wish you all the best and success with, with the group of athletes that you have. Um, I truly believe it that you are a dedicated and passionate coach. Um, I know that, you know, that's the reason why you have, your results speak for itself. Um, I don't have to say, it, um, you know, you've been doing this and you're going to continue to do it. And, um, you know, so all the best, you know, with everything that you do. I wish you and your family success. And I also want to give a quick shout out to your brother. I know we didn't talk much about it, but uh, it, a lot of people don't know that uh, it's it got to be a great feeling to compete alongside your brother yes. doing the same event in the same Olympics. And um, I, actually, I'm pretty sure you guys raced each other before. Um, you know? <laughs> never. We never raced each other. Wow. But you know, and you know, his name is Ian too, right? So he, yeah, he, I should have had him on. He fits right in. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's another Ian, um, you know. So yeah, so yes, just give him a shout out, and um, you know, we, I, I always remembered him. I, the one thing with me, I remember, um, and I like the history of the sport. <laughs> you right. know, so, um, I try to keep up with it, and it, it just stuck with me. So. Um, give him a shout out and um, we're looking for um, maybe maybe one day you're gonna you're gonna have another another young young one going around the track you know? I hope so I hope so hey thank you so much for having me in it's, it was uh, it was a privilege to, to compete against you and and uh, and it, this this is great I, I really appreciate the time so yeah all right any final words Ian? Well, I think our, our, our audience has said it all. Um, just take this from Gary Barnes. He said, like Coach Harden Energy. He knows his stuff very well. So that said it all, uh, Coach Harden. You, you basically did what we asked you to do, inspire, motivate, and educate someone else. And you definitely knock it right out the park. So that's a home run thank you very much thanks for coming on thanks for taking that time out and we really appreciate you and thanks for keeping me awake for most of the time because you know as i said i was burnt so it's your energy that allow me to you know make it through this one so thank you very much man you have a blessed night thank you you too appreciate you guys it uh, it was my pleasure and thank you so much and uh All thank right. you for doing this it's it's very cool all right. Thank you, Coach. All of us. All right, guys. All right, bye. Sounds good. Take care. Peace out. And Ian, I'm leaving. <laughs>